Grace and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We live in a highly specialized world. Everything seems to be kind of fractured and there's an expert here and an expert there. It's just kind of how it, how it seems to, to be going. You're not just a business major, you're a business econ major. You're not just a business econ major, you're a business econ macro major dealing with currency or whatever. It's like, I just went to college, meet girls and hang out. Worked out good. I remember that. My, our children, my son, my daughter-in-law and our grandson live with us. And it's just marking the first year anniversary of that. And... Uh, it's fantastic. I got home from a trip last night, and who comes running to the door but crew? Papa, Papa, Papa. Right? <sighs> but I, in order to get the house ready for them to be there, I had to move stuff around. And, and, and we're not really collectors and purveyors of stuff. My garage isn't full of stuff that I, I mean, I would get rid of it all, but some of it has sentimental value to other people. But I, I, I had about four boxes that were about this deep with pictures. And I sat over the course of the football season and just put those into little plastic boxes that I could stow away safely. And I was reminded that in growing up, there were really only three seasons. In the fall, there was football season. In the winter, there was basketball season. And in the spring, it was baseball season. And as kids, we weren't specialists. You, you, you went out and played in those seasons with whatever football you could find in the fall. And it wasn't about being the best receiver you could or the best quarterback you could be. It was about playing and having fun. And in Flagstaff, when it would get a little colder, we had a, a rim on our garage and a little red, white, and blue USA basketball, and then it was basketball season. And then all of a sudden when the leaves would come back on the trees, it was baseball season. And my father would come out and he'd say, fellas, let's go throw that baseball around a little bit. Now, I was never an excellent football player. I was never an excellent basketball player. I was never an excellent baseball player. I was kind of a mass jack of all trades and master of none. When it came time to say, can you throw the ball? I could throw a ball. When it came time to say, can you shoot a basket? I could shoot a basket. When it came time to say, can you move somebody out of the way? Uh, yeah, it's a lineman, not a receiver. But I could catch and run and throw. There was, and now everything is so specialized. And I can't imagine there's going to be, be a day where you could be a three-sport athlete anymore, where you're the best football player and the best basketball player and the best baseball player in your high school. Everything is so specialized. For football, they have camps for individual skills. They have kicking camp. They have tight end camp. They have footwork camp. In basketball and in baseball, it's all the same. You have a hitting coach, a fielding coach, a footwork coach. It's all so specialized. And to be honest, it's all very expensive as well. If you want your child to get in and perform and be a part of a team, it costs a lot of money. Specialized. Everything's so specialized. A person can be proficient in many things, but to be excellent in a very narrow band. And one of the things we've lost in that specialization, in my observation, is what it's like to be a part of a team. Because perhaps the most important part of team sports is the team. 
and not the big I. Because always, always, always an excellent team is more than the sum of a bunch of highly trained specialists. We live not just in a fractured world illustrated by the sports piece, but, but it, it seems as if in, in the, the way people even think is somewhat fractured. Things are lined up, values, subjects, uh, ideas, politics, things get lined up and then we separate people out and we say, okay, you're this flavor, you go over there, Republicans to the right in the red room, Democrats to the left in the blue room, and then and there's not a lot of people left in the middle. People are sorted out by economics, by job, by race, by gender, by whatever helps us make sense of people. And then we can associate with the people we want to associate and dismiss the people we want to dismiss that aren't like us. But there's precious few places, at least in my observation, and I'm willing to be corrected out after in the, in the courtyard with the donut, there's precious few places where people are unconditionally accepted. Last night I sat at a table in the Las Vegas airport flying my last 37 minutes home from Florida last night and I had my little uh, cup of Annie's pretzel hot dog things and extra cheese sauce, which is fantastic dinner. It gave me great energy for the day. And I sat at the wrong table in the wrong place and the lady looked at me and she said, you can't sit here and eat that. And I said, it costs $23. I'll sit wherever I want. There are very few, precious few, unconditional communities. And when you find an unconditional community of people, it's the most refreshing, soul-renewing thing in a person's life. And so the scripture that Julie read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, especially verse 10, I love that. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Jesus ushered in the greatest unification of humanity in the history of the world. As of this morning, and I wanted to be accurate with this, there are more than 2.2 billion 2.2 billion Christians in the world. Our people in Kenya had a good week, and their experience in the body of Christ was fascinating. Because as soon as they landed in Kenya, they were met by brothers and sisters in Christ, people whom they had never seen before, people who didn't know them, who had little in common with them politically, economically, ethnically. But in Jesus, they had everything in common. The Kenyan Christians immediately came around our group in Nairobi with a fervor and a love and a connection that could only be Christian because only Christ could connect people so immediately and so deeply. I've seen that same fervor in China when we visited there. We met a man for the first time who had been tortured and, and manhandled by the state he walked on his hands. He said, you are Christian, I am Christian, you are my friend. That's what it's all about. It happens all over, wherever Christians connect. China, Vietnam, Kenya, Orange. Wherever Christians in are, 
wherever Christians are, we hold so much in common with one another that we almost connect immediately. Paul reminds us that it doesn't start with the pastor or preacher. It's not about Paul, Cephas, or Apollos, Paul writes, but we are united and together in Jesus, weak and strong, wealthy and impoverished. We are in Christ, male and female, all races, all ethnicities, all attitudes and opinions. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is one church united in Jesus. And then Paul takes us back to the cross in verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Perhaps it's grace that flattens out all of the things that would separate people. What unites us in Jesus is grace. My sins, my offenses against you are covered in the grace of Jesus. And if God doesn't hold my sins against me, if God doesn't hold our sins against us, then we dare not hold our sins against ourselves in terms of guilt or hold someone else's sins against them. But by the grace of God, forgive absolve and move forward the way God in Christ has absolved and forgiven each one of us. Sin divides, Christ unites. Sin breaks, grace heals. Sin says, but what about? You need to exclude. And Jesus said, no, no, my grace is sufficient for all of you. And in your weakness, my power is made perfect. It's that flattening effect of, of grace that I love. That instead of gauging each other by performance of maybe sinfulness and purity or not, we, we, we measure each other by the grace of God given to us. And so we're able in community to unite 2.2 plus billion people of us. Grace is the uniter. Forgiveness is the uniter. Paul's people writing in Corinth, the, the, the Jewish converts would have had an idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You put a stick in my eye, I'll put a stick in yours. You knock out my tooth, I'll knock out your tooth. You make my life a mess, I'll make your life a mess. But Christianity in Corinth was so refreshing because it was about grace and forgiveness among people and reconciliation when there were issues and problems. And that reconciliation has been since the moment Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John and said, follow me. I love that. In Christ. <laughs> in Christ, you have more in common with the person sitting next to you than whatever divide you. And in our church, what a marvelous blessing it is to know that as we sit together, we're connected and put together in Christ and united in Christ for purpose. The church of the 21st century does not lack for purpose or mission. And the purpose, as we articulated in our church, is to deliver the restorative hope in Jesus wherever he takes us. And since 1883, 1883, Precious few of you were around then. 
1883, God has blessed us with a school. And this week we kick off National Lutheran Schools Week. He used that school in the 1880s as a platform for helping immigrant families and people moving into Orange County, Richland at the time. People coming in and, 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 and connecting in to, to be able to have their language, to be able to have their faith, to be able to have their, their confession, to be able to gather together in a church that was about the size of this, but by 1918 was the size of this. But the school was at the forefront of that. Now it's a little bit different. The school in the 1880s was used to, prefer, to preserve doctrine and culture, to make sure that the Orange Ranchers' children and the town children were united and together. And it was then in those early days that this congregation became a force in the community. And this day, our school ministry is a little, little bit different. Our platform and our purpose is to lead families to Jesus. And it means that God's Word and the Gospel, those are the focus of our instruction and the culture of our school. And it means that our teachers, like their forebears, use every possible method to bring children and families to Jesus. That's what we do. It's, that's not just what we do. That's our DNA. I'm not sure we would have the church we have without having a school that goes with it. Our school this morning has 718 students in it. We had over 60 families who applied for about 14 more kindergarten spots. We had 40 families show up for 10 more three-year-old preschool spots. Our school is strong and robust because of the value system that is driven by grace and the love of Jesus. And rather than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we deliver a sense of hope that's missing in the culture, <laughs> but is a function of your DNA right here. Two weeks ago tomorrow, I did a funeral for my buddy Norman who sits in front of Steve and Thea and behind Roger and Donna up there, Norm Amling. And it was one of those funerals where you're reminded that someone can be very tough and very strong in one part and very kind. And uh, the, the tears came easy sometimes for my friend Norm Amling. His life was humble, joyful, colorful, simple, generous, loving. Norm and his family, the Amlings, grew roses, and Norm was a, a rose farmer, I think is what you would call him. Norm grew up and went to school here. He sat up in that balcony. If we had a service, it didn't matter what time, where, the rain, whatever, Norm was there in his sickest, most painful days. He grew up and went to school here years and years ago, and he never forgot that. Not one day. He sat faithfully week by week, year by year, and he would smile and say, you know, Pastor, it's a little different in the school now than it was. He said, I remember the Board of Education in a whole different way than the students do today. <laughs> and then he smiled. He remembered where he came from. 
And when it came time to write the message for his funeral sermon, I looked at those three scriptures that he had chosen and the hymns that he had chosen, and they were all about forgiveness. And while he was a man of few words, not able really to articulate his enormous theological breadth, he wanted there to be forgiveness for him before God. He wanted his children to experience God's forgiveness and reconciliation and kind of let the past go away as he went into the ground. He wanted forgiveness for himself, his family, his friends, and all who attended. One of his classmates came to me on her way to Africa, and she said, Pastor, whatever you do, don't schedule Norman's funeral while we're gone. And I said, well, it's Norman's funeral to schedule, not mine. And she looked at me with her big blue eyes, and she said, I'm telling you, don't schedule the funeral when I can't be there. I went to school with Norman. And I'm like, wow, you're like 100 years old. grew up together. Their families were orange ranchers together. Their dads were friends. They were cousins to a degree. They were confirmed together. It's that kind of community that our church does that lasts a lifetime. And I don't mean a lifetime like 30 years. I mean a lifetime like 100 years. All about love and grace and being connected in community in the ups and downs, in the ins and outs of life, started and ended in Jesus, and God praised at the end of that. How deep is our school? How rich is that ministry? It's since 1883, with families waiting in line, begging to be in the community that God provides through His church at St. John's in Or. National Lutheran Schools Week is a big deal because the community that you provide and support is a wonderfully deep, rich community. God is praised and God is honored in that. So there's three challenges in this text, I think, to, to think about today. And if you're new to St. John's, you're here, you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm down, this is cool. I think the challenge for you is to come to worship next week. Come again, make it two in a row. The challenge, if you're new, if this is your first time, is to come back, to take another step into community. You are wanted here. This congregation, since its inception, has been an open, welcoming congregation. If you're new to St. John's, the challenge is see you next week. If you're newer to the St. John's community but already have a foot in the door, then by all means the challenge is to take the next step. Get involved in following Jesus like the gospel lesson today. Get involved in following and serving. And when the email from the church comes this week, hit a link. By all means, hit a link. And our staff and our faculty, our people are trained to say yes. Typically we say yes. Can you visit? Yes. Will you be there? Yes. Can I participate? Yes. If you have a foot in the door, take the next step. Hit a link. We invite you into ministry to engage and take a chance and join with us in delivering the restorative hope of Jesus. And if you're like my friend Norm, who is steeped in community, who's been here for a while, 
St. John's is home to you for a long, long time, then maybe that challenge for us is to keep pushing, to keep moving things along, to set the tone with our hugs and our handshakes, with our direct conversations that are filled with grace, and continue a strong, vibrant pace for God's good work here. There's something for everybody to do in the days ahead. And so like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we come together in community. We find purpose and meaning and relationship and direction. And in a fractured, fracturing world that's filled with all sorts of specialists, perhaps we are special in loving people and gathering people in grace and providing a community of people who are filled with grace and hope, which I would offer are two things that the world is only going to find in the cross of Jesus through us. In the name of Jesus, amen.